Welcome back on this Tuesday, March 31st, and well, there it is. It is March 31st, which means we have reached the end of what has been a pretty crazy month. And tomorrow we get to begin a new month. As we mark a time with these endings and beginnings, I am thankful to walk the journey of life and faith with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. It is such a privilege that we are able to mark each day of our lives with God and His word of promise, which is always faithful. We are a family that gets to be shaped by His word, so today I thought we could start with selected verses from the Psalms as well as other parts of Scripture with the prayer that His word would flow over us and be at work in us, shaping us according to His will, not only for this time that we have together in His word, but for the rest of our days as well. There is a link to a PDF so you can read through these verses with me responsibly, or you can just listen and take them in. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and repents of evil. Jesus said, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for all that you are and all that you do, for the blessings of this day, for the care of all your creation, for your amazing and steadfast love. We especially praise your name for your love made manifest among us through sending your Son into the world so that we might live through him. By your grace, breathe your loving spirit into our lives that our love for the broken and sinful things of this world will be replaced with a love for you and love for one another. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our prayer singing the hymn, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. I invite you to pause here and click on the Spotify link provided as we pray in song. It is Tuesday, so we are once again taking a look at passages in Mark where we see that discipleship, well, it's hard for the disciples as they struggle in following after Jesus. Today we take a look at Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 41. I invite you to listen in to Professor Jeff Mallinson. Peace to you, brothers and sisters. I hope this message finds you well. We can't see each other or be right next to each other, but we are connected by the unbounded love of Christ. And in this text today, Jesus teaches that times like these might actually help clear the way for deeper faith, greater hope, and more profound love than we've settled for thus far. Let's look at the text. Mark 9, verses 30 to 41. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man 
is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Well, let's first look at verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. Now, in one sense, this is Jesus drawing from a kind of knowledge and wisdom that the disciples don't have. The disciples, they're just not getting a lot of even the basic stuff. But Jesus understands what it's going to take for him to do what he has been tasked to do. This is the thing that is going to lead him straight to the cross. The disciples either don't understand this or they don't want him to do this. But Jesus knows that this is, this is the way. This is inevitably the result of his teaching. But as we see this, we realize that this is true for a lot of heroes, right? I mean, Socrates had this happen. Socrates was making comfortable people uncomfortable when he was challenging their false understandings of wisdom. When I was in high school, I thought for a moment that Plato might have been a kind of pre-Christian prophet. And it turns out I wasn't the first one. I'm talking about a text in the Republic, Plato's Republic. Let me uh, give you what Yaroslav Pelikan says about this text in his book, Jesus Through the Centuries, page 44 and 45. Quote, In the course of listing various pagan prophecies about creation, the Sabbath, and other biblical themes, Clement of Alexandria came to one prophecy in which he said, Plato all but predicts the history of salvation. This remarkable passage is from a dialogue between Socrates and Glaucon in Book 2 of Plato's Republic. Glaucon postulates that, instead of beings who are both righteous and unrighteous, as most of us are most of the time, there would arise one unrighteous man who is entirely unrighteous and one righteous man who is entirely righteous. Let this one righteous man in his nobleness and simplicity, one who desires, in the words of Aeschylus, to be a good man and not merely to give the impression of being a good man, now be accused of being, in fact, the worst of men. Let him, moreover, remain steadfast to the hour of death, seeming to be unrighteous, 
and yet being righteous. What will be the outcome? He shall be scourged, tortured, bound, his eyes burnt out, and at last, after suffering every evil, shall be impaled or crucified. End quote. Now, if you take all that and you just leave the eyes getting burnt out, you've, you've got a story of Jesus. And again, when I first read this line in high school, I was thinking, well, what, what on earth is going on here? But again, now I see that it's also just plainly insightful. In a corrupt world, the just are in danger of painful persecution. But note in the text how Jesus goes on. He says, when he is killed, that is the son of man, after three days he will rise. This part of the story is not inevitable. At least it's not naturally inevitable. Plato could see that the just will be killed, but he did not know about the joyful turn of events. He did not know about the eucatastrophic surprise. This is Jesus' word that brings comfort. The previous word is self-evident and true, but not necessarily comforting. We sometimes fail to hear it, the message of hope, the message of the gospel, because we are too afraid to listen. We're too afraid to trust in the word. So note in our text that both death and resurrection were foretold, but the disciples couldn't hear the second part. They were afraid to ask more. This teaches us when we come before the Heavenly Father, not to be afraid to confront our fears. We can do this because the default is grace. We can become spiritually naked before the great physician. We can bear ourselves before God. We've got nothing that is going to surprise God. As terrifying as it is to be examined and to examine ourselves in the context of gospel, in the context of grace, the process is like a surgery that quickly leads to healing. In more specific terms for us spiritually, it leads to insight and to calm. It's as if for Jesus here, when he's telling us about death and resurrection, it's as if the doctor wants to tell us that we've got a grave, grave disease, but we run off in despair and fail to hear the part where he was about to tell us that he's also got the cure. The point is, God's way passes us through death and onto resurrection. God's own way was through death and resurrection in Christ. And so we ought to think through this death business seriously. For one thing, there's value in the death of our egos, our false selves, or our old Adam. This stuff that we kind of decorate ourselves with that is fleeting. And then there's the death of things we falsely cling to, power, money, and earthly glory. We've got no choice ultimately but to release our grip on these things that hold us back from true joy in Christ. And of course, there's actual death, which threatens to strip away from us absolutely everything we've worked to accumulate. You see, sometimes the law, the preaching of the law, doesn't just dismantle our self-righteousness. It demolishes our false gods, whether we like it or not, whether we're faithful or not. Those things that we clung to at one time, when death comes a-knocking, those things very quickly show themselves to not be as powerful or as potent as we had hoped. And it is precisely the letting go of our false gods that leads to the important line in verse 35, quote, If anyone will be first, he must be last of all 
and servant of all. You need to experience that devastation to be lifted up. And it's not something you need to do. It's something that needs to happen. It's like the alcoholic hitting rock bottom. We need to spiritually hit rock bottom before we can really receive the unmerited favor of God that was for us all the time. But we resisted it because we couldn't hear the message. Maybe with the current pandemic, many of us will be forced to face our fear of death, literal death. Many more of us will also have to face a figurative death, to face our fears of being losers, financial failures, the last in line, the lowest on the social ladder. But by facing this, there is a chance that we can learn something important before it's too late. Now, there's a bit of good news just beyond the bad news of the law and its declaration. Current economic uncertainties force us to let go of false security and turn instead to the Eternal One who offers deep assurance. Note that when the disciples started to argue about which of them was the greatest, Jesus says that the last will be first. This isn't about encouraging the disciples to exert willpower and become super humble. Instead, it's about repentance, which means waking up to reality, coming to our senses, letting Jesus demolish all our various towers of Babel so that the temple of faith can be built up on the leveled valley. Letting Jesus lead us through the way of death and to the field of resurrection. That's what Jesus invites you to. He invites you to stop frantically striving, to stop panicking about being perfect, to stop obsessing about your accomplishments and your bank account and the nice house or car that you have, and instead begin receiving receiving abundance, receiving grace, receiving the whole world, which is your inheritance. You are a son or daughter of heaven. God adopts you as his own child. He gives you a healing word, the gospel, free of charge. He puts the seal of his kingdom, the stamp of his logo on your heart in baptism. And he says, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the body of Christ. You are the kingdom of heaven, and this kingdom will have no end. So fear not. Amen. As we reflect and respond to those words, I'm reminded of a hymn that, when thinking about the great treasure Christ is, simply asks the question, What is this world to me? With that in mind, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are our priceless treasure, our health, our wealth, our joy, our crown. And yet our sinful hearts often long to be filled with so much less than the full gift and inheritance that you have for us. Forgive us when we seek after other things that can never make us content, bring about true peace, nor give us our soul's delight. Remind us each day, of the treasure that you are and the inheritance you have given to us, that we too would look at the world around us and say, what is this world to me? Amen. Well, family, as we depart each other for today, receive this blessing. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless and preserve you. Amen.